I hear that you had a visit from Paul last week. Is that true? He kind of showed up. Did he look pretty good for, you know, how old would he be now? 2004. <laughs> what a message, Paul, to us. A, a daily reminder of what it's like to live in a world and try to figure out what a Christian is supposed to be like, how a Christian's supposed to stay connected to God in such a way that eternity is accomplished. Love this picture. It's like the essence of love coming from the Bible. And I'm so thankful for someone like Paul, who had a mentality a lot like mine, and how he dealt with the difficulties of figuring out life. Figuring out how to relate to God. He started out with very much a, it's my job to make God like me. I feel like that's what Paul's approach was at the beginning. He went to school, he studied this, he studied that, he kept all the rules, he made sure and stayed away from the wrong people, he washed, he cleansed, he was ceremonially clean, he kept the right feast days, he never worked on the Sabbath. He was constantly focused on making sure that his life was right with God. Out of a need to make sure that he was safe. This was his approach. He saw God as kind of the advisor. The one who gives the methodology. The one who counsels. The one who guides and says, now listen, do this. And do this. And do this. And don't do that and that and that. Stay away from those. Walk this straight line and you'll be set. You can hear this in the... Remember the rich young ruler who came to Jesus? Some people actually think it was Paul. Because the rich young ruler and Paul are like two peas in a pod. When that rich young ruler came, he said, What do I need to do to be saved? Do you hear it? What do I need to do to be saved? Is this an old-fashioned thing? This do something to be saved? That just happened back then, right? We don't struggle with that today, do we? <laughs> we don't struggle with trying to figure out how to be saved. We're all focused on the do, do, do's and the don't, don't, don'ts. Listen, it appeals to us because, listen, I can do something about it. And I feel good. I can actually pat myself on the back and say, hey, Tim, you're doing really good. That's treating God like an advisor. But that's not the category that grace comes in. You may think it foolish or impossible, and it is absolutely scandalous. It's about grace. We don't need an advisor. We don't need to go to this book and <laughs> look through the pages and write out a list. Wouldn't that be just like us? To come up with a list of all the things the Bible says we have to do and be, we could put it on our smartphones. And we could like have a little app that when we do something good, and we could check at the end of the day how many check marks we have on our do list. 
they wouldn't call us Christians, they'd call us dudes, just doing and doing. You know, as appealing as that is for us humans, there's a problem with it. It's because so often we are don'ts. We don't do. In fact, sometimes on our list of do's, we do the wrong things. The bottom line is, we're really can'ts. We're not dudes, we're not don'ts, we're can'ts. So we don't need an advisor to come and tell us what to do. We don't even need a God to come and through his power make us dudes. A lot of Christianity teaches that what we need is we need to know what's right and what's wrong, and then we need the power of God so that we can do what's right, and then we'll be saved. And that is absolutely 100% wrong. I want you to think it through. We pray, God, give me the power, give me your Holy Spirit so that I won't keep doing this sin. Deliver me from this evil. Give me the strength to stand up against it. And we think that by getting God's strength into us, then we do all the things that are right and that that's what salvation is based on and it's totally wrong. That's not the definition of grace. Grace is not God keeping the rules through us. Grace is God keeping the rules for us. Grace is God keeping the rules for us. Grace is God keeping the rules for us. That's salvation. Let's talk about what takes you from the lost sinner category to the saved category. What is it that does that transition? It's grace, and that grace is based on what God did. He's the dude. He's the done. He's the completed. He's the Savior. The angel had it right when the angel said, And she shall bring forth the Son and call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from. You know what's really crazy? This was announced the day Jesus is born. This is his birthday inaugural come to earth message. And what was the message? He will save his people from the Romans. That's what everybody thought. The angel had it clear. He will save his people from their sins. It doesn't say he will empower his people to become sinless. Does it say that? Did the angel come and announce a new place to plug in and now you will have strength from above and you will be able to hook up to God and have the perfect cleansed Christian life? The trouble is, is the devil doesn't care what he trips you up with. He can try to trip you up with good things. He teaches us as Christians that it's about the wrong thing. It's like he's leaning the ladders of our lives. We're all climbing a ladder, right? He leans the ladders of our lives against the wrong buildings. And we climb thinking, we are climbing Jacob's ladder. Have you ever thought about that song? Have you ever thought about, we are climbing Jacob's ladder, every rung goes higher, higher. Where are we headed? And who's doing it? 
God never put it in us to earn our way, to walk our way, to behave. God never, ever put in place a strategy for us to behave our way into heaven, work our way into heaven, earn our way into heaven, because we can't. Jesus, see, this is where grace is just phenomenal. Everybody's afraid of getting in in sync with what grace is because they think, okay, if grace is God doing it all for me and I don't have to do anything, then I'm going to get soft and I'm going to start acting like a heathen and I'm going to... No, 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 no. The truth is, when you really put grace where it belongs, you will fall in love with the provider. Oh, please, if I could just... If I could just be in love with Jesus like I'm in love with Kim. You see, I love this lady and so... I don't need a list of rules. I don't need a convincing. I don't need any of that to be her husband and to love her well. I do it because it bubbles out of me. Wouldn't you love it if your Christian experience bubbled out of you rather than something your, your PFC, your prefrontal cortex, whipped your body into shape? You see, Paul... Why did I pick Paul to talk about grace? It's because Paul really experienced the works mentality. He struggled with it his whole life. He struggled with the sense, am I right with God? Did I do enough? Am I okay? Has he forgiven me? Or does God still keep a record of all those people that I put in prison, those families that I destroyed? He struggled with this. Read Romans 7 near the end. He's on a daily basis. Paul, later in life, saying, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, I don't do. I'm just a mess. It's impossible. I can't do this. And then he starts to nail down some truths some truths about grace. The Jewish way was not grace. And could I say far too many times, the Christian way is not of grace. We don't need to go out there and say there are so many churches that teach that you need to be a good person to be saved. It's here too. It's everywhere. Let me ask you a question. Do you need to be a good person to be saved? Yes or no? Hey, could I just be honest? We struggle with that, don't we? Is there not a piece of you that says, no, I do need to be a good person to be saved? We go from being a lost sinner by the grace of Jesus, the gift. We go from being a lost sinner to being a... What's over here? Saved, I like that. How many of you, when you accepted Jesus, became a perfect person? No mistakes. And yet, you're saved because you've asked Jesus into your heart. You went from being a lost sinner to being a saved sinner. Now, no, no one of us is going to go out and commit a bunch of adultery with the false world because we're a saved sinner. We're going to continuously remember the fact that God saved me in spite of myself. That's what grace is. Is all about. Listen to Paul. This is in Colossians 1.27. Paul is explaining a mystery. What's a mystery? A mystery is something that it's hard to understand. What else? Nobody gets it. You can't explain it. A mystery is something you see and it's like, 
like gravity. Did you know that incredibly intelligent scientists have no idea what causes gravity? Yeah, I know. Anything that has mass has gravity. Yeah, the Bible in your hand has gravity. If it was the only thing in a large area, things would be attracted to it. But because the earth is so much bigger, it's attracted to the earth. But if it didn't have a sense of gravity, the, it would float off. We don't know what that... It's a total mystery to us. Intermolecular forces, maybe. We don't get... It's a mystery. We can't explain it. Paul is going to explain a mystery. And the mystery is how can God save sinners? How does he do it? How does God save sinners? The answer, Colossians 1.27, the answer is Christ in you. Christ in you. The hope of glory. The only hope you and I have of ever getting off this sinful planet, the only hope we have of anything in the future uh, is to have Christ where? In me. How do you do that? How do you fall in love with Jesus? How do you have that connection with Jesus so tight and so close that it saves you? Is that an important question for us to figure out? Can I be honest with you? In the Christian church, we know a lot about Christ. Scholars who study the languages and the times, they tell us a lot about Christ. Sermons tell you a lot about Christ. Archaeologists dig in the dirt and they find out new information about Christ. But that does not equal knowing Christ. The information is in a totally different category than the relationship. And the crazy... Difficulty of the relationship is it's not something we can add A plus B plus C equals relationship. Just ask yourself, do I have a relationship with God? Well, of course you do. I mean, the devil has a relationship with God. It's a very bad relationship. Maybe I should say, do I have a growing relationship with God? Because, honestly, some of us are going to be here, and some of us are going to be here, and some of us are going to be down on, at the corner. It's not important where you are in the continuum. It's which way you're going. And I'll tell you how it works. You open your heart. You invite him in. You stop all that's going on, and you say, God, I need you. Find me. Not show me how to find you. That's the advisor role. Find me. That's the truth. I was listening yesterday. Did you know that there's a guy who's encouraging people to take a 12-hour walk? How many hours? 12-hour walk. You can actually go online and sign up at 12hourwalk.com. How many hours? Can you walk for 12 hours? Well, you actually don't have to walk the whole time. You can take rests. But it's setting aside 12-hour chunk of time where you're all by yourself. Sound a little creepy? Even worse, you have to Put your phone somewhere else. Not only are you alone away from people, you are alone away from electronics. Now, does that sound scary? This is 12 hours where you are all by yourself walking. 
The walking is good because it keeps you moving, keeps you awake, okay? I can sleep for 12 hours, but that doesn't do anything for my relationship with God. This 12-hour walk is a time for you to talk to God, call out to Him, listen. You don't have to talk for 12 hours. There's some of us who probably could do that. It's time alone with God. It's connection time. It's time where every other voice is stilled. Every other distraction is put away. And you are doing the most important thing in your life. You're saying, connect with God or bust. There's a verse. If you seek me and find me, there's something about searching with all your heart. My friends, it's far too late in earth's history for us to say next week. It's way too far in history. If you're sensing that you don't have a relationship with Jesus that is growing, if you're, if you're feeling like, wow, I go through the motions. <laughs> Adventists, I go through the right motions. It doesn't matter which motions you're going through. Motions don't count. There's no tally in heaven that say, whoa, let's celebrate. Tim just crossed over. He's finally done enough good things. Oh, hold that thought. He just did two bad things. He's back on the other side of the line. Now, God's not into this. He doesn't put your name in the book of life. Oh, take it out. Put it back in. Oh, he just helped an old lady across the street. Uh, yeah, put it in uh, uh, indelible ink. Oh, cancel that. God doesn't whip us in and out of the book of life. We're in the book of life because he has saved us. And he calls us into that relationship. Can I challenge you a 12-hour walk? That's going to cut into your schedule. You might have to cancel something. You might have to set aside 12 hours. That means I'd have to get up like at 6 o'clock and walk till 6 in the afternoon. You guys got your phones? It's got your schedule on it. How many of you are brave enough right now to pull out your phone and say, okay, I recognize how absolutely critical this is to me right now for the sake of my family that I connect with God. Is there anybody? I didn't see anybody reach for their phones. Are you brave enough to make a commitment and say, okay, I can't be this week, but next Sunday, I'm going to figure out a way. Kids get farmed out here, makes extra food for the family there, and I'm going I'm to get up at 4 o'clock. That way you can be done at 4 o'clock. How many of you be willing to put God as a priority in your life like that? The priority and doing it is not going to save you, but what you discover during that time might well could. You see, this is the lesson that Paul put through his brain finally as he's trying to figure things out. Have you ever noticed that when the Christian world hears about the fall of a fellow Christian, especially those leaders, there's an outcry, hypocrite, when the guy is just behaving, the lady is just behaving like the rest of us. Just because they're higher, they seem to shine a brighter light around. We, we chant, I knew they couldn't be this good. When really what we need to do is we need to shout out, praise God. Praise God that he has made provision for sinners that act like 
sinners. We, we ought not be surprised by someone else's failure or our own. And we need to be careful not to make that the focus of our lives. Either the successes or the failures. What does the Bible say? Let us fix our eyes on all our mistakes and it will motivate us to get up earlier and study harder. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4. What does it say? Let us fix our eyes on Jesus because he will inspire us to do great and mighty things. No, that's not it either. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, that means he started it, and the finisher, that means he brings it to be. I used to dislike the poem Footprints. Anybody here remember Footprints? The man's walking on the beach, woohoo! Jesus walking beside him, aha, this is good, walking with Jesus, and then all of a sudden there comes to a place where there's only one set of tracks, and he's like, Jesus, you left me, you left me, you left me, why would you leave me, that was the worst part of my life, and Jesus is like, dude, that's when I was carrying you. Well, I need to rewrite that whole poem. If you've been listening, what would I do with that poem? On the beach, how many sets of footprints would there be at the beginning? One. And when things really got tough, how many sets of footprints would there be? Still be one. And when things lightened up and were easy, how many sets of footprints? And how would you tell those footprints? How, how could you tell whose those were? I like to think there'd be the outline of the footprint and the pressure, but in the middle there'd be this round part of sand that didn't get pushed down. <laughs> because it's Jesus. When does Jesus carry us? Always. Our focus needs to get off the doings and not doings. They're important because they were important to Jesus. They're valuable because they can help us get closer to Jesus and keep us close to Jesus. If you go and lie, kill, steal, commit adultery, if you do those things, if you honor other gods, if you take the name of the Lord in vain, the Ten Commandments, if you go against them, it hurts your relationship with Jesus. And that separates your heart from him. The point is you've got to stay close to Jesus. The commandments are just to protect the relationship. We have this treasure. What's the treasure? The treasure is a saving relationship with Jesus. I'm going to show you four texts that really back up that it's our relationship with Jesus that is everything. And yet we put our relationship with Jesus on the back burner. Do we not? Our relationship. We focus more on all the things of the world and keeping God happy, and we forget about the relationship. I don't have a relationship with Kim because I do the dishes. When I do vacuuming. Those things don't make our relationship do you think God is happy? Listen. Ooh, 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 ooh. We are taught in Sabbath school that God is happy when we obey. Where did we get that from? Are we teaching our kids wrong? Are we teaching our kids that they need to make Jesus happy? That's their job? Our job's not to make Jesus happy. Our job isn't. Of course we want to make Jesus happy. Because we love him. Is this making sense? We have this treasure, the treasure of salvation in Jesus. In what? The Bible says earthen vessels. 
It's the cheapest, lowest grade vessel you can have in Bible times. These things, if they got cracked, you just threw them out. There was a whole place outside the city. It was a place of potsherds. If, if something smelly got into a pot, you just threw the pot away and got a new pot. Nothing valuable in the pot. What made the pot important is what's in the pot. Paul's way of telling us, be more concerned with what's in your pot than what your pot looks like. In fact, he tells us, listen, we spend most of our time looking more like this one. Cracked pots. And that's okay. Listen, if you saw five pots, and some of them were beautifully adorned Ming Dynasty pots. They're beautifully glazed, artfully done. And then there's one at the end that looks more like something you put a plant in. And it's chipped and cracked, and you're not even sure it's going to hold together. And the person tells you, in one of these pots, there is... I'm trying to think of something that's valuable. Uh, keys to a brand new Nissan truck. Four-door, four-wheel drive. I'm thinking like me, okay? Oh. They tell you, you can look in each pot, and you can choose the pot you like. So I look in the first one. It's a gorgeous pot, but it's empty. Well, I mean, there's air in it, but that's all. Am I going to choose that pot? I go to the next one. It's one of a kind, and it's ancient. It's worth a lot of money. No, oh, no keys. Next one, no keys. I get all the way down to the worst-looking pot that looks like it's just a disaster, but inside that pot, a pair of shiny keys. Actually, not shiny keys. It's just a little remote like this. But it's what will give me the truck. Am I going to go for the beautiful vases or am I going to go for the ugly one? You see, the value is not which one looks nice. It's which one has the keys to the car. Listen, living on this world, Paul made it really clear. It's like living with thorns in your flesh. Notice this isn't thorns that poked you. Okay, I got poked yesterday. I'm healing today. It doesn't hurt so much. What's it like to live with something in your skin? little piece of wood, a piece of metal or something. It's in your skin. What's that like? Can you just ignore it? Or does everything in your world stop until you get that thing out? It can be so tiny, and it's like you pull off the side of the road, hopefully, and you're digging at that little thing until you get it out. And then when you get it out, oh, still a little sore, but I'm, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's not there anymore. Now I can get on with life. Paul, he likens living in this world as living with thorns. Where? Where is his thorn? In the flesh. It's like living with the constant irritation of sin. The constant irritation of falling short. The constant irritation of realizing that you're lost. We live our lives constantly feeling lost. If I was to ask you, how many of you know you're saved today? It would not be a 100% across the church. Doesn't matter which church you go to, doesn't matter who, you could have had a whole month of grace. We all inherently have this sense in our hearts that we're not good enough, that we've not accomplished it, 
that we haven't done, we're not sure what, but something that would get us saved with Jesus. We all live in that frustration, that sense of not enough. We all live there. Paul is explaining that's the thorn in the flesh, but there's no way to get over that. We all have a sense of our lostness. How many of you worry that something's not right and that that you're not quite there with God? How many of you want something more with God? How many of you just want something more with Jesus? You can feel good about putting your hand up because you're part of all of us. We all are there. Paul lived with a thorn in his flesh. And what did he do with that thorn? Options. He could just walk away, give up. He could pretend that the thorn doesn't exist and put on a smile every Sabbath morning and a little extra layer of makeup on the bad days. Or he could admit the fact that he's struggling. How many of us are struggling? Is it okay if we can all say we're all struggling? We need to read more of this text. Let's go there. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7-9. Here it is. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. In other words, so that Paul didn't say, well, I, I've got to be saved. I am so much better than these other heathens in the church. I have been to the third and fourth heaven. You know, I have met with... He could have gone down that road. But God gave him something to keep him hungry for Jesus. Think about this. Is the reason Jesus doesn't take away all of our problems and all of our sin and all of our shortcomings because he knows we need that reminder of our desperate need of him? Could it be that the things that you strive most against and hate in your life are the very things that are going to be the thorns that drive you to Jesus? Keep you focused on the solution to the problem. He says, lest I be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times, that it might depart from me. God, just fix me. Take away my quick anger, my sharp tongue. Can you picture Paul praying? God, I could be such a better preacher if you would just fix me. Take away my bad thoughts. God says to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength my strength. Could it be that when we own up to the fact that there's nothing we could do, have done, will do to save ourselves, when we own up to that, what we are doing is saying it's got to be all God. And therein we are glorifying grace, which is God's greatest character. It's the glory of God, the grace he shows to sinners. What I mean by that is in heaven through the ceaseless ages of eternity, all the universe will go, go God, yay God, holy, holy, holy. Why? Because God's just that good. How do we know? Because God made grace. And there's a reason why the humans are the people or the beings that are near God's throne. Because when the universe says, 
How good is God? Everybody looks at the humans and says, yeah. Remember those guys? That's how good God is. That's how loving God is. That's grace. Because those guys couldn't do anything to save themselves. They were hopelessly dead and lost. And they're here in eternity, saved. And now they're pure and holy. Go God! Wow! That's grace. That's grace. 